Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and an actor. And I'm Caroline Sita, a sister suffragette. The way this podcast works is that Caroline and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries featuring an actor we love. And this month, we are covering Emily Blunt. Last week, we discussed Sicario, and it was all hitmen, machine guns, and dead bodies decaying inside the drywall of a home in Arizona. And this week, it's all dancing penguins, talking umbrellas, and a scene where everybody picks their favorite balloon that speaks to them, and they all float up in the sky and sing together. Folks, it's Mary Poppins Returns. Ned, this was such a nice change of pace. Although I I do, we'll get into it, but I I had quite an emotional response to this film, but in a more pleasant way than Sicario. Uh, Yeah, true. I would agree. The emotions were more pleasant. You had seen this in theaters? Yes, I saw this in theaters. You know, it was around the holiday time. I think I went with my family. At the time, I was like, it was okay. I think I was mixed to negative like I thought Emily Blunt was good but I wasn't that interested in the movie I had been pushing that we should talk about this on the podcast not even because I felt strongly about the movie just because I thought it was an interesting thing that Emily Blunt had done yeah and then this watch was basically a full 180 of what I thought of the film I didn't see it the vibe around it nobody I don't remember I think really anybody being like, oh, it's fantastic. I think, you know, it was really hard actually to get any sort of impression. But you talked about it, use the phrase maybe from, was was it from Blank Check? Movies that don't exist. Movies that don't exist, yeah. Yeah. They coined that term and it's a very useful one. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a movie that didn't exist. And I I just didn't see it. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of the original Mary Poppins from childhood. Um, Although I hadn't rewatched it for a long time until this week. And then I hadn't watched this movie until, you know, prepping for this Emily Blunt cycle. And boy, was I surprised. I just loved it. Yeah, I texted you last night. As I said, the first time I was sort of mixed on it, expected that to be the same. Halfway through, I texted you and I was like, wait a minute, is this movie secretly great? Like, why? What was I thinking the first time that I didn't love it? I don't know. I was, I think I went in really determined to dislike this. I Something about like, the cash grabbiness of it, the like emotional pandering of it. I was like, you know, I think like from, from, from like from word one in the movie, I was like, Oh, this is just, this is just a post Paddington, like cheaper knockoff of that, trying to like cash in on that and like bring back Mary Poppins and do it. And it, 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 it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. And I have many gripes about it, which we will certainly discuss. But it really won me over uh, over the course of the viewing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that there, you know, you can watch a movie on the level of like intellectual critique, mm-hmm. which I think is probably how I was first watching this. Like Disney does a lot of these sort of, you know, live action, either remakes or prequels or sequels. That's sort of been a big trend that it's easy to sort of analyze. And like you're saying, it's a it's a very cynical thing oftentimes. But then in addition to, you know, intellectual critique, there is just emotional response. And this time around, ooh, baby, did this movie just completely knock me out emotionally. It like really, yeah, like you said, I was just 
so I'm so glad that this podcast gave me an excuse to rewatch this movie. And now I want to like go around preaching the gospel of Mary Poppins Returns being a secret masterpiece. I wonder if I will have the guts to preach the gospel of that. I mean, like, we'll see where we are by the end of our conversation now, which might just might be a long one because there's a lot on the palette for us to discuss. Um, and I have a special treat coming later in the episode. But uh, I, I still feel like it still feels kind of square to me to, like, go out and say, you know, in the way where, like, I mean, Paddington, actually, Paddington is, like, so mainstream with uh, our sort of, like, generation and with film Twitter, etc. Like, being into Paddington is not, um, it's not going out on a limb at all. You know, I, for instance, I really uh, was a big Kung Fu Panda proselytizer. You are. I might have shown you I associate that movie almost entirely with you. And that's one where it's a film that's not... I think universally revered, maybe not held in very high status by a lot of our peers. And yet I've watched enough times I've said, you know what, I think I can, I think I will draw my land. I will, uh, I'll pin my flag on this or I'll die on this hill. I think Kung Fu Panda is a great film. I don't know if I'm ready to do that with Mary Poppins, but I can certainly say this being sort of a fresh reaction. I mean, I watched it yesterday. Uh, it, it's, it fought through my defenses to really charm the hell out of me in spite of what what it represents as a studio project. For me, I, there's something about, like, at the very, when they're in there, like, they're, like, racing to get the the share certificates mm-hmm. on Colin Firth's desk, and they're turning back Big Ben, which had been mentioned, and he's got the clock, and Big Ben finally, like, goes five minutes late, and, like, the seemingly random runner of... The of Admiral Boom being yeah. like, Big Ben is finally on time. I was like, I don't know why that just <laughs> hit me so hard. It's so clever. I mean, it wasn't like a like a I got you know weepy at that moment, but I was just like, damn, it's this nice movie is payoff. It's nice payoff. It's a it's a it's a well structured movie, and not just in what I think initially seems to be the structure, which is literally just like let's play the hits yeah. for Mary Poppins one again. Yes, it is. It's a lot of things about this are an interesting choice for how to do a sequel because mm-hmm. it is explicitly a sequel, but in some ways it's also a beat for beat remake and that they are very much like, let's take whatever the, there you know, there's a scene, there's a super califragilistic scene that's in an animated world. So let's give an equivalent scene in an animated world. And here's the spoonful of sugar scene. And here's the, um, let's go see Mary Poppins relative who has some sort of spatial yes. displacement issue. <laughs> Who will only enter the song, and it's kind of a well-known actor, and then they will vanish yes. from the film after that. Yes, and then let's have a big scene where all the working class, you know, chimney sweeps or lamplighters do their big musical number. So it is, like, so ex- explicitly remaking those beats. And I think that's the sort of thing that on a first watch sort of annoyed me about it. Mm-hmm. It's shameless in doing that. It's so naked. Like, even a kid can be like, you know, that's, oh, that's just the... Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious scene. They're just doing that. Yeah, and that's on the this Jolly Holiday scene. Yeah, rewatch. I think. I mean, for one thing, there is something you know that Disney Plus platform. It does have a certain. When I pull that up, I feel a lot of nostalgic comfort. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, I'm going to pull up this movie. I know it's sort of like ungainly in its length, 
but I, and I kind of remembered it being messy. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw on this movie and vibe with it. You mean and Mary on, Poppins 1 or Mary Poppins Returns? Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, I mean, I both of them, really. They are both yeah. sort of long and episodic. Yes. Um, the, yes. The, uh, yeah. The first one is even longer and even messier in a way. Yeah. Although it's, you know, I would describe it as magical. And we could talk about that movie because I did rewatch it this week. I but, did as well. Well, that's what I ended up doing at, right after Mary Poppins Returns ended because I was on such a high. Yeah. But I think this time around, I was just able to be like, it doesn't really matter if the plot works. You're just here to sort of like hang out on your couch and like get cozy with this movie. And I was very much in the mindset to be able to do that, which maybe mm-hmm. I wasn't when I first saw it in theaters. Yeah. I'll also say, I don't know if you have this experience at all in terms of like how like the mindset you're in when you're seeing a movie colors your experience of it but mm-hmm, totally i have found the, during the pandemic like the main part of the pandemic here in america i took yes. a very like pragmatic practical optimistic like we're gonna get through this approach and mm-hmm. i sort of was on a pretty even keel now mm-hmm. that in america at least things are sort of leveling out a, a bit i am finding myself almost completely unable to control my emotions in any <laughs> level like i will anything will make me cry which brings me to the fact that i mean like i'm not exaggerating when i say i was full on tears streaming down my face crying for virtually the entire 2 hour plus runtime of this movie like oh, i wow. had such a strong emotional reaction to it even just rewatching some clips right before we recorded, I was like, I don't know what it, this is not at all how I felt about this movie the first time I saw it, but this second time, it was just so, like, purely emotional for me. I definitely cry at the cry bait. I mean, I, this was one of those things where I started the movie a few weeks ago, I got 20 minutes in, but then I had to pause, so I, I just thought when I'd watch it, I'd say, I'll start from the beginning, and I definitely... Tears rolled all the way down my face through the scene where Ben Wishaw quietly oh sings to his god. dead wife. Oh my oh god! My lord, does that song make I I feel like I'm about to cry just thinking about it. Yes, it's so. I mean, it is obviously cry bait, but so what? So so. But it's also his performance. He is giving a oh. level of raw emotional reality that you do not usually get from a children's film. Like, I wrote down, like, Ben Wisha should have 12 Oscars for this performance. It is yeah. shockingly good for, like, what it what this kind of movie needs it to be. Yes, he does a, he does a fantastic job. We'll definitely talk about our, our leading lady soon, but but for the moment... First, I we just, have to talk about our Paddington. First, we have to talk about Paddington, whom you and I both love. You showed me the Paddington movies. Uh, ben Wisha voices Paddington. Uh, it's funny, I first saw Ben Wisha as Q in the James Bond movies where he's a little bit snarkier. But no matter what he's doing, he just has so much buy-in from me. And I completely agree that he dignifies this part so much. And it's such a good use of that character, where he both he both is and must do the arc of Mr. Banks Sr. from the first... He has to retread those emotional beats, which is great. I mean, David Tomlinson in the first one is fantastic. He brings so much like pathos to that role, like that I, you know, I don't think I appreciated as a kid, but he's fantastic. So Ben Wishaw's doing those beats, but he also that you see him. They they make so much of him being an adult version of the kid who like went on this adventure with Mary Poppins. Close your mouth, Michael. We're still not a codfish. Oh, so cute when he does that bit, exactly like frame for frame, like the first one, and it just it. <sighs> 
it, it just hits me emotionally so hard when he breaks down when he's like i can't do it i can't do it i i think i cried again for that part oh but the the, the sort of plaintive little talk sing gentle like lullaby that he sings to his absent wife i think the song is just called a conversation it's i pulled up some songs on spotify today and i skip right over that one i'm like it should be a crime to just put that on a soundtrack (laughs) where someone might just happen upon it and be weeping Uh, he's great yeah you you, um teased this before but do you want to talk more about your relationship to the original movie because it sounds like you have a stronger emotional tie to the original than i do i think i just had the kind of emotional tie to it where like it was one of the vhs's my grandma had Mm -hmm. so i watched it so many times um definitely because it's two and a half hours i did what i'm sure countless children have done over the past 57 years which is watch watch the songs and the first half and then kind of tune out part way through because i really like some of the shots when i rewatched it this week where like the extremely slow plotting like final sequence where Mr. Banks like goes at nighttime to Fidelity Fiduciary Bank to be fired by Mr. Dawes Sr. These long shots of this like big imposing empty bank. I'm like, damn, I just, you just wouldn't take this much time to do something so like grim and like uh i don't know cinematically composed about a middle emotional crisis yes i know it's so focused on that you wouldn't do that now um so there are those parts where i'm like oh i don't remember this that well but but i definitely have seen at least the musical numbers from mary poppins one so many times through so many different stages in my life and i think i've always been so charmed by it thought it was such a i definitely have connected with different things i mean as a kid I just, I, I'm sure I just found the magic of it all to be really uh, entran- in, in, entrancing and enchanting. And, you know, I think when I was in high school, I was like, uh, the main pull for me was this kind of like chaste chemistry between uh, Bert and Mary Poppins. So much they're chemistry. Like, they're so like incredible, like, I don't know, like flirtations flirtations but in a way that is so like uh i don't know classically aristocratic although yeah the the relationship of like class to that movie is like a whole box to unpack um you know with them you know she's i guess presumably middle class because i guess like governesses would be sort of middle class women who were you know like educated i mean she has that aristocratic elocution yeah Yeah, exactly although maybe that's just like a choice for mary poppins or for for julie andrews as i understand it the original novel mary poppins is more of a like cockney working class person like bert is and bert is the like he's the like idealized blue collar guy who wants to be blue collar and loves to work his his four low-paying jobs and is like more than happy to like just watch over these people's children for no particular thanks but i like the little runner in both movies it seems very much like mary poppins is just a friend to the working class like every working Mm -hmm. class person just knows who she is yeah they all know her even in mary poppins returns like they you know the cook's there and she's like oh hi mary poppins like everyone everyone in that class just knows her yes with the paddington paddington alumna julie bird knows her or Julie Walters, who plays Mrs. Bird. Please, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, so as I say, as a kid, I love the magic, and then I love that relationship. And then I think now, uh, as 
as a filmmaker, I, I, again, I just really appreciate all of the sort of like creativity, the technical creativity, as well as the, like what would be fun next whimsy of it. I, of Mary Poppins one. I do think it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's a, I mean, it's a sloppy movie kind of, I mean, there's, they go on these just like bits. It's just like a series of vignettes and sketches at times through, through a lot of it. And there's, there's things where it's like, Oh, uh, okay, this is a long, this is a long bit here. But but I do have that, like, very warm feeling around it all, all of it, and, and, and especially around the performances of Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, who I think just create some unthinkably charming characters. And both I, of them are just punishingly hot in that movie, yeah. I should also say. <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot how – well, I guess this is also a matter of having – now watching it with more adult eyes. I'm like, oh, they seem so young now. Like when I was a kid, they seemed so much like, you know, yeah. full grown-ups. And now it's like, wow, yeah, this is a like a relatively young Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Oh, when he's in the very first scene and he's like, change in the wind. He does this look that I'm like, stop with that, Dick Van Dyke. You cut it out. <laughs> I definitely liked Mary Poppins growing up. I wouldn't say I loved it. I similarly had it on VHS. I rewatched it as well after I finished Mary Poppins Returns and was sobbing and I needed something to sort of like even me out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was surprised by how much I remembered it. So I was like, I guess I must have watched this a lot. Although like you, they were towards the second half. I'm like, this must have been when I turned off the VHS because I did not remember there was a bank run. I'm like, what? I could not have told you any of the plot of the second half of the movie. I that was the that was the same thing that I this time completely forgot. I was like, there is a run on the bank triggered by Michael Banks. That is an actual plot point in this. Yeah, I yeah, I think that that was the part. It is a long movie. It's two hours and 22 minutes. That's forever for kids. Yeah, it was forever for me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But I do have those feelings. So, uh, yeah, you know, these are all the reasons that we're like going in stacked up against the new movie. But I do think you're right. It does a pretty solid job of navigating those things. Although I will say, and this is kind of a big part of my thoughts on it, rewatching the original Mary Poppins, what I would mainly... I think a lot of the times my interaction with it would be not to sit down and watch the full movie, but to like skim through and just watch the musical numbers. Cause those are kind of like the most magical, wonderful electric sparkling parts of that movie and of the performances in it. And for this new movie, I would probably do the opposite. Yeah. Because the musical numbers are like the weakest parts. I mean, the parts of this movie that I really loved almost entirely are in dialogue scenes. And there are bits that just like had me in stitches uh but but the music is really i think forgettable i mean i could not tell you the tune of triple little light fantastic sure (laughs) and i watched it yesterday i probably couldn't have sung it to you yesterday yeah i think the music is shockingly not catchy for having been written by mark shaman and scott whitman who among many other things did hairspray which is one of my favorite musical love adaptations, musicals so yeah i am i don't quite know what happened with the songs like i think they're fine they're pleasant while you're watching them mm-hmm. but you're right that they are pretty forgettable and especially when the sherman brothers songs from the original are some of the most iconic you know musical songs ever written absolutely it, it is noticeable but that's what's interesting too because there's a world where for a sequel they would reprise things right like it would make perfect sense if mary poppins would re-sing supercalifragilistic if that's her 
if that's her thing that she goes around teaching people, it would make total sense if they were to reprise some of the songs. And I find it so interesting that they were like, we are going to spiritually remake this movie while actually bringing in far less like fan service or whatever you want to call it, far less direct reprises and references than you would expect. I had a similar expectation. I mean, when they look, when they sing, uh, Mamma Mia in Mamma Mia Here We Go Again, despite having done it in the first one. No one's obviously. complaining. No. no they and do obviously you're gonna do Dancing Queen. Like Dancing you have to Queen, do they do the name of the game. They do several songs, Ava songs again, and that was the right choice for that. They didn't do that. I was really surprised to not see um to not get at least super califragilisticexpialidocious. But I I would assume that either some key exec or Rob Marshall really got in their head that they're like, we do not retread the musical ground. We bring in new stuff. And I, do you think that maybe they were like, because they had to create new music and yet they clearly had to hit the same beats as we discussed? I mean, if we noticed it this, this obviously, it must have been at least implicitly acknowledged in the process that someone was saying, Give me a kind of a step in time kind of song. Definitely. It feels like the project of the movie is, can we find a one for one for each number? Because they pretty much do. Yes, they really, they really do. Which, yeah. I wonder if that ultimately caused them to turn out these like somewhat weaker songs. Yeah, I don't know. It is weird. It is strange how... Again, like not catchy, the music is. Mm-hmm. There's three. Well, okay. Uh, what do I know? I I've got "Lovely London Sky" for sure stuck in my head because they run it through and I listen yeah. to it again, and it's got that uh, that distinctive Lin Manuel vocals. Yeah. Um, can you imagine that I can do? Because again, this is one of the ones that I saw twice. It. But I, I just yeah. like how our accent comes through in that one. I. I'm not wild about Can You Imagine That, personally. It's okay. This is the little bathtub number. Exactly, yeah. It's the, I it's... don't love the visuals of it. I think the song is kind of cute. Yeah. I, and, and this, I'm not, not really speaking yet about the performance of these songs, but um, Topsy Tur- Turning Turtle, um, mm-hmm. incredibly stupid song, I think, uh, extremely well performed by Meryl Streep. Surprising that- no one. In my in my sort of like nonstop tears that were happening, there were two parts where they stopped. One was mm-hmm. turning turtle, which I think just should have been cut. I think that they wrote they wrote themselves into a corner. If it had been anyone playing that role but Meryl, they probably yeah. would have been like, "We don't need this. Let's cut it." But you can't cut Meryl's entire scene. Scene. Moment. So I feel like they yeah. were locked into keeping it. And to me, that's where the movie just really slows down. And to be honest, yeah. I feel the same way in the original with the scene they're replicating, where it's her relative that keeps laughing and floating to the ceiling. That mm-hmm. I distinctly remember as a kid. That was the part in the movie where I was like, okay, let's change the channel. I'm kind of getting bored with this. <laughs> uh, Royal Dalton Ball, I enjoy. I like that one. I think and- that and then the, the cover is not a book performance they do next to it are maybe the the best musical moments i think cover is not a book is probably the best song oh well you know what i'm skipping i'm skipping a conversation which is kind of like a much more sentimental take on uh mr banks's like the life i lead 
mm-hmm. which he does a couple times, which is emotional at the end, but it starts with a very a British bank. <laughs> so they, I, I like what they do with that. Um, well, the, there's also the place where the lost things go, which is the ballad that was nominated oh, yeah. for the Oscar, which I actually think is really lovely. It's like what Mary Poppins sings to them about, basically about their mom's death and how mm-hmm. she's gone, but she's not forgotten. Yeah. I mean, again, if you want to talk about scenes that made me cry, that one really <laughs> got me. I don't know why the place the lost things go didn't hit for me. I don't know. Yeah, it, I didn't it didn't connect with me. I don't know. Something something about that did not like break me down in the way that a conversation did. Um a cover is not a book is a total that's a crazy song. Something about Mary Poppins doing a cockney accent. <laughs> really fun. It like boggled my mind. I initially had like I it was crazy how strong my reaction to that was where I was like but it's it's like I had this immediate like processing like short circuit because it felt to me and this is going to sound like such a stupid thing to say but (laughs) uncharacteristic again i'm about to put my foot into like the english class system which i cannot which i must not do because i don't (laughs) i don't know it that well but something about mary poppins doing that dialect and i guess like doing it I guess she's doing an impression, but mm-hmm. I'm like, Mary Poppins doing a full song impression is not something I'm familiar with. I was immediately like, what? No, wrong. But it was just so alive. It was so energetic and allowed Emily Blunt to like clearly like let loose in a way that none of the other stuff she was doing allowed her to do that I basically come through on it. I mean, I think it's a weird, it's also really weird how like, um, it's like really like ribald. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's ribald, like weird. I'm not it's like sure. ribald. It's like weirdly dirty. Yeah. There's all these and there's all these reference to like. I mean, it really. It what that song feels like. It does feel like a copy paste, but it feels like a copy paste of Um Pa Pa from Oliver. Oh. Which I also is a musical that I personally not actually super love. familiar with Oliver. Well, okay. So imagine like a Cockney woman like entertains a rowdy crowd with like three short vignettes with sure. reference to like. Well, it's like a vaudeville. Yeah. At least in Mary Poppins, it's like a vaudeville thing. Yeah. It it, it it struck me so weird at first, but it was so uh lively that I just think it was great. And I love I love seeing her and Lynn Manuel get to do their uh I don't know, it's kinda like cabaret, like money money from the movie mm-hmm. of cabaret. They're a little yeah. like they're a little too for like high energy madcap like snappy playing off each other in bowler hats in bowler hats and she has a bob that's a strange choice but the costume is so phenomenal in that scene it was funny actually rewatching the original i'd forgotten that in there's a a portion of jolly holiday i think Mm -hmm. that's where it is where bert pretty much raps like raps it to the same degree that lin-manuel raps in cover is not a book because i remember when this movie came out a lot of people were like it was it was right around the time where like Lynn was getting so popular, there was sort of like a backlash. He had an Anne yes. Hathaway sort of level of backlash to his earnestness. Yes. Um, that is not my point of view. I'm a Lynn Manuel stand for life. But I think some people were like, oh, God, of course they're going to put his rap in here. Like, that's what he does. And then rewatching the original, I was like, that was 100. Like, yes, that's what Lynn does, but that's 100% also a callback to a very similar like Patterson sequence, Patterson sequence that Dick Van Dyke does. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way because I have to say I did give a big old eye roll <laughs> at Lynn's rap. 
he is just Lynn is Lynn Manuel is he's just as corny as Kansas in August. I mean, I I it cannot <laughs> he he I think he is guilty of the of the cheesiness that people accuse him of. Now, oh, I am not yeah. I am not saying that I think he's uh like a hack or anything for that. I think Lynn Manuel Miranda is a genius. But I do think this is a bad performance. Do you not Ooh. think that? I think it's. I think he's bad in this. Interesting. At no, first, I wouldn't have said that at all. I, yeah. To me, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say for you to say. Mm-hmm. But to me, it feels very in keeping with the tone of the movie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what do you do? You just like the accent? Do you, what? It, what specifically is not connected <laughs> to you? Well, the accent is bad, but I feel that's. I can't be the first person to remark that um, so is Dick Van Dykes. And so it kind of honors that. That would not bother me. I think, uh, uh, I don't know. It doesn't have the, um, so, okay, basically, they hire Lin-Manuel Miranda to basically do exactly what Dick Van Dyke did in the first movie. It's a new character, but it is essentially not. I mean, he's a working class guy who kind of has a runner that narrates He's Mary Poppins' friend. He dresses the exact same way. Um, and where Dick Van Dyke has a sort of, um, I don't know, a uh, effortless, off-the-cuff nature to all of his like zaniness. I mean, it, it's all clearly staged, but it feels improvisational and light. I would say that I never mistook Lin-Manuel Miranda for talking like a real human in this one. Sure, so it's not I a naturalistic performance it's not in a naturalistic any sense of the word. And I think that I his the limitations of his singing voice and dancing ability are on display here because, again, he's being set up to be compared with a, just a better dancer yeah, and a better singer. And... You know, it's not something that bothered me in Hamilton. Let's let's veer all over the musical theater sure. map today. I mean, this is my brain 24-7, so I'm, I live here. <laughs> it never bothered me in Hamilton because in Hamilton you have this meta layer where the guy who's playing the, like, borderline pathologically uh, ambitious, tireless striver is the guy who, like, wrote this, like, massive monster, like mega work i mean i i i think he's a genius i think he really is and having him play that character with the layers of him having like created this thing i'm talking about hamilton there's a there's just a and and it and him performing his own words it just works for me so i'm not bothered by that i wouldn't rather have seen somebody else play that part in the premiere of hamilton and actually i i did get to see hamilton live it was not with him it was in chicago with a guy who was a more capable performer, but it was lacking some of that, I don't know, like, meta specialness. However, in this, Lin-Manuel Miranda's just a performer, and I'm like, no, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's just doing a very good job performing. I also think that his plot, such as it is, they give him a little bit of an extra plot away from just helping the kids, which is all that Bert did in the original, which is they link him up with Jane in a plot that I think is rewarding for neither of them. Hmm. I kind of weirdly like it. Yeah. But uh. that's also because I, well, A, I just love Emily Mortimer, who plays Jane. Talk oh. about an underrated person who I think should just 
I'm always excited to see her. Absolutely. She's, I always, she's a phenomenal actor. Kind of like the pairing of like weird, uptight, idealistic. It's like a little bit of like a Ron and Hermione vibe or something. It's like chill mm-hmm. dude, but then more uptight, like social justice lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, I is that what I'm coming to Mary Poppins Returns for? No. Am I sort of like, oh, that's cute while it's happening? Yes. Yeah. I hear you. It for I think for me, I mean, like, maybe my primary take was my frustration that they brought back Jane and Michael and intimate in the first scene, like, these will be your sort of two grown-up characters. And then he actually has a plot and an arc, and she kind of doesn't. Sure. Yeah, that's and, fair. And that's, to me, I'm like, oh, so they wasted Emily Mortimer. But yeah. maybe they'll do Mary Poppins Returns again, and they'll bring her back. <laughs> and she will, I don't know, uh... Like lead rally. a communist revolution. Lead a communi- I like yeah. that they continue the little thread. I mean, again, they could have done way more of it, but I like that in the original, I always have loved the subplot about the mom's votes for women, suffragette yes. movement, in a sort of like batty eccentric way. Yes. She does she's, it. She's like a little like airheaded and a- she's a little not she's a little absent minded is the word I'm yes. looking for. But she's always like, off to go throw eggs at the police. Yeah. I love <laughs> like, I've yeah. always loved that since I was a kid. I love yes. her song. And I like that they kind of continue. It's like, okay, it's a couple decades later, now the mm-hmm. daughter is a labor organizer. I mean again, they don't do much with it. I like I like that setup. I think actually that's the thing is I was like, oh I love this setup for them. And then it's kind of like, oh, she is a thing with Lynn Manuel. It's not well. If we and if we want to get into again, like intellectual critiques of this movie, mm-hmm. I can certainly go there with you too because I feel like this movie ultimately hinges on the the resolution is basically Michael just being like, oh, I forgot that I was rich. Never mind. Yes, like the degree to which it's like this man who had all of these privileges. And I get that there was a huge tragedy of his wife dying, but essentially it's his own fault that he wasn't paying these bills, that he was absent-minded, that he didn't have the certificate. Like, he is really the maker of all of his own mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, he doesn't really achieve anything to resolve it. And then his final thing is like, I'm so glad I was able to rediscover my childhood whimsy. And I'm like, sir, you need to not rediscover your childhood whimsy. You need to file your paperwork correctly so that if it is an important document that will cause you to lose your house, you know where it is. So on that level, I think a lot of this is there. It's sort of like lazy or not thought through in terms of, you know, in the first movie, mm-hmm. Michael having to give up his tuppence to the bank. That's like a tragedy. You know what I mean? It's like he wanted to give it to the nice lady that was feeding the birds. Yeah. And then he has to give it to the bank. And in this one, it's like, thank goodness that you remembered the importance of compound interest. And now you're rich and all of your problems are solved. And it's like, was that the message we want to send to kids? But then you have the cheat code of it's played by Ben Wishaw. And I'm just on board with that and i don't care at all about these things because he's the most beautiful sad little angelic boy i've ever seen and i just want to root for him with his cute little stolid mustache yes and yeah. i, I it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because talking about the structure does make me think about similarly i hadn't really remarked this at first but it literally is like there's this whole adventure and it's all like it's a moot point because it's literally like dick van dyke ex machina Like, all of their striving and, like, they're, like, we're going to sell the bowl. We're going to find the document. We're looking for it. We found it. We've brought it. It all comes to nothing. And Dick Van Dyke literally walks in from behind the door and is like, it doesn't matter. You can just have your house. You've had this. But isn't that charming? Exactly. I'm so glad Dick Van Dyke's in this didn't. I'd forgotten that. And I, like, cheered when he came out that door and did his little dance. So you're absolutely right. The level to take that on 
is not to have a stick up your butt like a miserable old bank president and analyze it on an intellectual level. It's to say, look, it's Dick Van Dyke and he's doing his he's dance on dancing. the desk. He's tap dancing and he does his little goofy. He's and still he, the so man funny. is like ninety three years old or something when he filmed this. Yes, ninety three years old. Him and Angela Lansbury are both ninety three years old. We are so lucky that we live in the timeline where those two absolute gems are still alive and still performing competently oh it's we're so lucky I, yeah I, I loved seeing both of them in this movie but angela can we lansbury, also talk yeah. about how the angela lansbury cameo was clearly written for julie andrews and the, yes. the, the choice to just sub in another old british lady and be like eh, it's the same thing is one of the wildest creative choices when that happened in the movie theater I remember, like, my audience was like, aw. Like, everybody was excited to see her, which is lovely. We all love Angela Lansbury. But mm-hmm. we were responding as if it was Julie Andrews. Like, I think people, in the moment, it's presented so much as, like, and here she is. That yes. people, I think, genuinely sort of got tricked or confused in the moment. But it is wild to me that Disney was just like, eh, we'll fool them with this and it doesn't really matter. Instead of just rewriting it so that there is not, at the end, a big cameo for a legendary British actress. You know Skyfall? Sure. There's a similar thing. Do you remember how at the end he goes to, he like goes back to the house where he was born and like in order to defend it, he like finds like suddenly like the door opens and there's the old gamekeeper and it's Albert Finney. And it's like, huh, okay, um, Albert Finney. That was a part that was like <laughs> written to bring back Sean Connery. Sure. So obviously, but you're like, oh. um, I guess that's good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a similar thing, but I think, that is one where I, I actually really didn't have that layer at all. I just was so pleased to see Angela Lansbury and hear her, like, beautiful, clear voice. And yeah. she's just, she's such a gem. I mean, she she's, while we're in our, like, talking about all musical theater, like, her performance as Mrs. Lovett, I think, is probably literally my single favorite musical theater character performance ever. She's incredible. She's a gem. And I also love Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. You ever see that one? Mm, that was not in my rotation. That and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang were not, we were more a Mary Poppins household than either of those two. Well, you, it is not unusual to hear people like, you know, stake their claim on one of those because they are quite, I, I don't, I think it's actually not fair to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Maybe it's a little more fair to Bed Knobs and Broomsticks to call them Mary Poppins knockoffs because they've got other things going on. But suffice it to say, those things being greenlit in the wake of Mary Poppins is unsurprising from a studio perspective because they do pull a lot of the same bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. Although there's things to, there's very unique, special things to adore about both of those, including the horrors of the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and a whole crazy battle scene where a bunch of empty suits of armor repel invading Nazis from British shores. In and people get turned into cartoon fish, maybe? I have some image, mental images of bed knobs and broomsticks. It certainly has a let's go into the animated world scene. Section. And um, maybe the other crazy thing about relevant to the Angela Lansbury cameo. So although Julie Andrews turned down being in this movie, mm-hmm. she was a voice cameo in a movie that came out the same weekend, which was Aquaman. <laughs> so there was an oh. absolutely insane thing where Mary Poppins Returns was in theaters and so was Aquaman, and Julie Andrews was only involved in Aquaman. As like a gigantic sea monster, right? Yeah, she's like a kraken or whatever. Yeah, I watched that movie on a plane. It's bananas. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Julie Andrews, I've seen most recently, or, or heard her voice work most recently in um, Bridgerton, 
where she plays like basically oh, gossip right, girl. Right. She's yeah. Lady Whistledown. Yeah. She's great. She's, she's a highlight that. of that show. So Julie Andrews is great. But let us now talk about Emily Blunt. I was going to say, I love how we, with all of our episodes so far, I feel like we always talk about all the movie as a whole, and then we finally get around to <laughs> the ostensible premise. What do you think of Emily Blunt? I think she's fantastic. I think she's I think totally she's fantastic. She's practically perfect. She is not even practically perfect. She's literally perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm kind of glad we watched this back to back with Sicario, because, I mean, if you need a reminder of her range, like, it mm. is wild to think that the same person played these roles because they could not be more different. Yes. I mean, just for starters, like in terms of mannerism, like Kate Macer's like terse, concerned, flat American versus the like, I don't know, incredible erudition of Mary Poppins and her proper prim mannerisms are just so, so exquisite. I mean, her just coming in, this is what I mean when I say like, I could skip a lot of the music numbers of this, but I would go and I'd be like, I want to watch the first scene where Mary Poppins comes in and George and Michael see her. I want to see the scene where she's like drawing the bath. I don't need to watch, uh, can you imagine that? But I do want to see the scene where she's drawing the bath and uh, John says, I don't like bubbles. And she says, well, you must avoid them at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) That just, I just rolled on the floor at that line delivery. I kind of really like what she brings to the role too. Like mm-hmm. I think that Julie Andrews' interpretation is a little bit more not strict per se, but a little bit more internal. And mm-hmm. Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins is like a little more playful. Like they're both doing the thing where they're they're clearly presenting in one way and internally they're feeling a different way. But yes. I think Emily Blunt allows a little bit more playfulness to come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a fun dynamic to bring to it. Yes. I And it's a, it's a good dynamic to do with your sequel because a scene I had forgotten from the first Mary Poppins is I remembered that her parrot umbrella talks. But I've forgotten that when it talks is in the end of the film when the family goes off to go fly a kite. And her parrot talking umbrella head is basically like, you feel for these people. And she's like, nonsense. The first movie plays this game with like her saying, what would come of me if I loved every every child I looked after or something like that. And so I think they do like lean a little bit more into that with this one. I mean, they do kind of like just redo the beats, but they play around with like, they give you just a few more tastes of the inner life of Mary Poppins and of her affection for them but while maintaining of course the same spectacular sense of propriety and indignation the thing i think maybe the 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 part of this where i laughed the most laughed the loudest is when they're getting ready to get on the bike and like the kid's like (laughs) how much much do you weigh (laughs) she just does this look and the way that that beat is played where she's so flabbergasted she doesn't even get to respond and uh jack is like never mind that (laughs) her face is just hysterical to me i just adore that moment uh it's just so good i love when they're at the roll dalton music hall Mm -hmm. and they kind of are trying to get her to go up and sing and she basically does the Kristen wig like don't make me sing don't Don't make make me me sing sing. no you know and they're like go and she's like no i couldn't all right d flat and the way she goes into it is just so i mean again it's like a joke that could be so corny in the wrong hands Mm -hmm. but emily blunt is just a master yeah she underplays she underplays a lot of those a lot of those like 
explicitly comic lines. And it's kind of in a way that we talked about with Devil Wears Prada. She can just, she can break up a joke like nobody's business. And she's not really, I think, thought of primarily as a comical actor. But she is really, she's really like extremely good on some of the, on some of those beats. And boy, is it a good idea to pair Emily Blunt with a kid or ideally three adorable, precocious kids. The kids are very cute. I particularly love Georgie and his little giraffe Gilly. And how much it, it's a very realistic detail that the family is always like, okay, Georgie, do you have G- Gilly with you? Like, that is so much how if a kid, you know, has the stuffed yes. animal they love, and everyone's like always checking in to make sure it hasn't been left behind and that he's got it. And that's a really nice little runner. Yes. Georgie's great. Georgie's adorable. They're honestly, I think they're honestly all great. They all do great jobs with their lines. They all, you know, they all have a distinctive character besides just like little kid. Well, and it's another competent daughter. It's another competent daughter. We love a competent daughter, even though no one has anxiety. Well, that's actually not true. The dad, yes. I think Ben Wishaw has no anxiety, anxiety dad. <laughs> actually, there's lots. He's he's the most like anxiety son from from a quiet place for sure. Um, but yes, we we love a competent daughter. Uh, one of the movies that I had considered choosing for this fourth slot was Sunshine Cleaning, which similarly just lets Emily Blunt like kind of improv with a little child actor and she's got the knack you know she does it a lot and she's really she's really great at it i have a a possible criticism it's not a resolved thought Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure if i think she's as good on the songs as she is in her dialogue scenes and i mean especially her sort of very traditionally Mary Poppinsy songs. Like, can you imagine that? I'm like not counting a cover is not a book, which is which is such a different mode, it almost reads like a different character. But I'm not sure if I think she does a fantastic job on Can You Imagine That or Turning Turtle. There's just something about it that feels a little like music theater smile that like isn't it's just kind of plastered on. I don't know. I'm not sure I want to like fully lodge this criticism, but did you get that mm-hmm. vibe at all? I don't know if that struck me in particular. I think if anything, I'm more inclined to just be impressed that she can sing this well as a person that did not come up in the world as a singer. That's and true. And this was more so the breakthrough of Into the Woods where everyone was like, what? This person can sing? And by Mary Poppins, it was a little more established. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. Certainly, she's no Julie Andrews. Like, I, no one else ever could be. Um yeah. But yeah, I don't know if that struck me so much. I kind of like, again, maybe it's the matter, it's the case of when it's more playful it works. Like she really drops into that like growl on the Royal Dalton Music Hall song. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. And I think some, I actually kind of like some of the playfulness of Can You Imagine That? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it struck me per se, but I, again, as with the Lin-Manuel critique, I like can see where you're coming from. And again, if you talk to like 2018 Caroline about this, she probably would have been. Mm-hmm on board with all of this but 2021 caroline who was an emotional wreck of this movie really can't contemplate (laughs) critiquing it too harshly yeah so yes i i see where you're coming from though i think it's just for me if i were to say all of my favorite moments of this performance from her they would all be in dialogue scenes the way she commands a room is really awesome it's a very high status character she's kind of a 
she's kind of a Miranda Priestly. She just is a mm. she just is a incredibly competent woman who demands recognition of her excellence. Something that occurred to me about this movie and these sort of Disney live action remakes in particular mm-hmm. is that these sort of leading roles that you know, people like Emily Blunt get to fill here or Emma Watson, you know, playing Belle and Beauty and the Beast. This is like the closest we have to women getting cast as like these known superheroes where it's like, oh my God, what's their Batman going to be like? What's their mm-hmm. Superman going to be like? Because with women heroes, I think the only like woman hero that people really have an association with is Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So like if people are like, oh, this person's playing Black Widow, like probably most people before the movie came out didn't know who Black Widow was. Same with Captain Marvel. These are not like characters that are woven into American culture where if you hear someone's going to, you know, if you hear Rob Pattinson's going to play Batman, you immediately have thoughts on that. You know who Batman is. Same yeah. with anybody that plays Superman. And I think it's the same thing where it's like, oh, this person got cast as Ariel and Little Mermaid. This person got cast as Mary Poppins. Like you are stepping into a legacy that is bigger than just the character Mm -hmm. and the same thing like recently with emma stone and cruella right like there's this sort of cultural attachment to it Mm -hmm. and i think that i I was realizing that sort of equivalent to how we feel with these male superhero roles and it is a relatively small you know to say you played mary poppins that is a very small amount of people that can say that in the same way the amount of people who have played superman are you know bigger but still relatively small like it's it's an interesting legacy role that i think women less frequently get the chance to do that's a very savvy point and i do like looking through it i do like looking at it through that lens of like you know it's something film is always like sort of struggling to find its relationship to a concept that in theater you know in theater you're just another person having a go with the role i mean particularly i mean with the like early modern roles i mean it's like if you're Romeo, like, okay, chump, get in line. You sure. know, there's like 10,000, you're, you're one of 10,000 of those. But even, even, uh, things that have been produced orders of magnitude fewer times than that, it still is like, yeah, you're one of these people. Right. And well, you like mentioned Miss Lovett, and your Miss Lovett is my Angela Lansbury. And I feel like mine mm-hmm. is Patty Lupone from the Broadway revival. So ah. there, it is a sort of thing where it's like, ooh, yeah, which one is your, is your yes. version of that character? Yes. And movies, I think, don't, so much they don't live as comfortably in that sort of paradigm because they tend to be i think they tend to be like whatever is out newest is kind of definitive maybe at this point when you've had so many batmans and so many spider-mans like it's becoming that but you know it's like when they when like Baz Luhrmann released like the great gatsby nobody's saying like ah dicaprio will add his great gatsby to the lineage sure. where robert redford had played gatsby it's like nobody remembers the robert redford great gatsby so it's a little more like okay that's gatsby now i think of it because that was one where i in spite of wanting to believe anybody can take on anything was like i'm irritated by this being like the definitive version of the great gatsby for so many people when i think it gets so much wrong about that we're really talking about a whole <laughs> bunch of different movies today. Well, um, if I can do another quick tangent. Please. One other Mary Poppins connection that I have in my life is that I went and saw the tour of the broad. I think it was originally a West End show. Then it went on Broadway. Then it toured. But it was the tour was with Ashley Brown and Gavin Lee, who were the people that did it on Broadway. Yes. And if you ever get a chance to see one of these like professionally produced, you know, tour, if they do this tour ever again, I 
could not recommend it enough. I we I my sister and I just kind of randomly on a whim went to see it. We were again not super invested in Mary Poppins as the property, but it's one of those things where it's that like Disney stage magic, sort of like the Lion King musical was, where they'll do the thing where she's pulling, you know, the coat rack out of the yes, the bag, yes, but it's on yes. stage is in front of you and at the step in time they have all they have Bert and the rest of the dancers literally dance on the ceiling, like on the proscenium of the thing upside down. And then at the end, Mary Poppins, like she literally flies out over the audience and up into the balcony and disappears. And it was one of those things where, I mean, I was crying just at like the stagecraft of what they were achieving. It was a, it was an experience that really captured that. Like it it made me feel that childlike wonder that I, think I don't really get from either of these film versions, actually, even though I enjoy them. Like the film, the stage version just made me be like, oh my God, how are they doing these things? And I loved it. Yes. I, you may not be surprised to learn. I also saw that same production (laughs) and I agree. On tour or on Broadway? I actually saw it in the West End. Oh, I, when I was, when I was 14, I took a a theater trip to London and saw a bunch of plays, including Mary Poppins. And I agree. It was actually the experience of watching the play was more electrifying than watching either of the films and maybe more electrifying than (laughs) so many other things I've seen. It was was like shockingly good. It it was also those, those performers, those two were Mm -hmm. jaw droppingly virtuosic. I mean, I... I didn't, I don't know, I, I don't know if I had the, like, I didn't know how to process my feelings for Gavin Lee watching that. Mm-hmm. I He's so good. I was, I was, I don't know, I mean, I would now describe it as I was crushing so hard. I thought it was, oh, he was incredible. He was so incredible. The way he moved his body doing, doing uh, super califragilisticexpialidocious. I was like, how can a person do that? And she was like, she just had that character and there all of these stage wonders. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Oh, I'm so glad you saw it too. Yeah, what it was a great. great show. I know, we're so lucky we got to see it. It was a great show. It's a totally great show. That show was in development. Here's a little like behind the scenes. So we haven't talked much about um, P.L. Travers sort of famously. Well, I, I'm sure that Disney tried to bury this for a, a long time, but I think now it's pretty well known. She did not really care for the movie of Mary Poppins. It's like... She liked parts of it. She was involved in production. You know, she approved of the casting of Julie Andrews. I think I get the impression she really hated the Sherman Brothers music because she Mm -hmm. in the it was actually in the early 90s that that show like started to like get its seeds. Like we want to do a stage version of Mary Poppins using the songs. She was like, none of the songs from the film. And they eventually struck a deal where it's like, well, we, we can use the songs from the films, but only British people will be involved in the production and the Sherman brothers will not come anywhere near it was something she like specifically demanded. They were both alive still. And yeah, eventually... she also famously hated the animated sequences mm-hmm. in the original movie. She... Weirdly, then Disney made this into a whole separate movie called Saving Mr. Banks with Emma Thompson and yes. Tom Hanks, which is weird because it's both Disney being like, ooh, let's tell an interesting story of a woman of a woman that didn't like Disney, but also we're Disney making it, so also let's make Disney look really good yeah, throughout I, the whole thing. I never saw it. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's like pretty good. I mean, if you go in accepting what it is, which is like half or two thirds Disney propaganda, <laughs> and you just kind of can turn that part of your brain off and enjoy it, it's. I think it's pretty good. There's a really, that was the start of Colin Farrell playing Disney dads. Oh, yeah. It's a real good Colin Farrell performance. And there's Funnily enough, the movie basically ends with Emma Thompson, even though she's sort of been against the movie, she goes to see the final production of 
Mary Poppins and mm-hmm. ends up just like crying through it. And I was like, I relate because that's the exact same experience I had yeah. with Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. Well, clearly I'm someone who is down to criticize Disney, but also am a sucker for so many of the things it does. So I'm sure that that movie would work on me. But so anyway, eventually P.L. Travers dies and then the floodgates are open and you get that whole Broadway production and in fact, this movie. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had watching this movie early on, before I had allowed my, before I had decided that I liked it, I was like, you know, weighing my thoughts about, oh, and the CGI. I also, like, another part of this is I'm really anti, really against CGI whenever it's avoidable. Not for doing unique things like Gollum, but for turning things that could be shot practically into CGI scenes. Uh, It's just a major chip on my shoulder, and I hate it. And we could talk about that sometime, because I was like, oh, but, you know, the that's just using the newest available technology, and isn't that what the first one was doing? Like, using whatever technology is available. And I was parsing through all those things, and I was like, these are all secondary considerations, because the one of the most important questions to ask this movie should be, do kids actually like it? So I decided to ask some kids. So that brings us to a special segment, perhaps our first, our, uh, uh, our first edition, hopefully not our last, of Roll Calling Kids Corner. So I got on a Zoom with my little cousins, and I asked them some questions about Mary Poppins. Would you like me to share some of that interview with us now please do i can't wait it was okay it was earlier tonight i talked to them caroline and i i just had an absolute blast okay so here's that conversation are you all ready to begin yes so for our listeners can you tell me your names nora Lila. and how old are you eight five great and i'm so excited to have you on my podcast uh, to discuss Mary Poppins Returns. I heard that you both watched that movie pretty recently. Mm-hmm. I watched it last night. She watched it today. Yeah. Yeah? Well, was Was this the first it. time you watched it a lot? Like, a lot of was this, was this the first time that you saw this movie? Yes. No. Okay, so Nora, you'd seen it before. And Lila, this was your first time. We both have seen it before. You both have said, okay, well, we have some mixed messages coming from you. We'll have to try to get to the bottom of that. But this was, how do, how was the viewing? How did you like it? It was good. My favorite part was when they went down the drain of the bath into the ocean. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite part was when they were in the bowl and when they were in the musical. Yeah, the Royal Dalton Music Hall. I really liked both of those scenes. Did either of you, did you ever see the first Mary Poppins movie? It's kind of an older movie. That's the one where they sing Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. Yes. You saw that one? When was the last time you- I watched that one a lot. You watched watched that one a lot? Mm. Yeah. I watched it a lot too as a kid. I think at my grandma's house, there was a, a VHS of it that I used to watch. So I've I've seen that movie many, many times. Do you have a favorite of the two movies? Do you think one of them is better than the other one? I think the first one is better. Yeah. Um, In the first one, like I think it's better because I like when they went to this 
carousel? What is it called again? The carousel. The carousel. Oh, yeah, the carousel. When they get on the horses and the horses go for it, they take off from the carousel. Yeah, I'd like to go on a carousel like that. And they go on a horse race. Mary yeah. Poppins wins the horse race. You like the first one a little bit better? Yeah, just a tiny bit. A tiny bit better. You know, I think I feel the same way that I like the first one a tiny bit better. But I thought I was going to like the first one a lot better. So when I saw Mary Poppins Returns, I just saw it this week. That was the first time I had ever seen it. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Which of them, which, of the, which one of them do you think has better music? First. The first one? I yeah. think they're both tied. A tie. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I really like Super Fred. Oh, pff, I can't even say it. Do you know the word I'm trying to say? Super Fredulous. Gexpialidocious. It's hard to say. Yeah, you did it better than I did. Um, that's a good one. Did you have a favorite song from the new movie? Probably Can You Imagine That? Mm-hmm. Because you already said you really like that scene where they go down the bathtub, and you think that's probably the best song, too. How about you, Lila? Do you have a favorite song? Music Hall. The Music Hall. Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a sense of what your favorite parts of this movie are. Can I ask, were there any parts of the movie that you didn't like? The, um, the train part with the wolf, I didn't really understand, even though yeah. I watched it the second time. Yeah, what, I what do you think? I understand that part, but I didn't like that part because it's a little scary to me. I agree. It's a little, it was a little bit scarier than I expected it to be. Because the wolf is, he, he starts out, he seems like he's going to be a nice guy, but then, as wolves sometimes do in fairy tales, it gets a little bit scary. And Nora, you said you didn't really understand that wolf part. What do you think, how do you think it connects to the rest of the movie? Well, um, the wolf took all their things in the mm -hmm. house, and the in the other parts of the story... The mean person that worked at the bank yeah. was trying to take their house, so the wolf was sort of like the mean person at the bank. Yeah. Yeah, he had the same thing. In fact, I just learned this. The guy who plays the mean person at the bank is he does the voice of the wolf. And the other two guys that come around. So I think it's it sort of connects like that. Did you think they were going to get their house back in the end, or did you think they were going to have to move? I think I thought they were going to get their house back, because that's how most movies end. Yeah. I yes. didn't watch the end of the movie. You didn't watch the end of it? Yeah. Well, I don't want to ruin it for you, but Nora is right. Like a lot of movies, it does end in a happy way. Mary Poppins helps them out. And so does so does a nice old man who works at the bank, who is uh, a guy from the first movie. He comes back. Um, can I ask, did either of you have a favorite character in it? Mine was the old man that worked at the bank. Oh, yeah. Mr. Mr. Dawes Jr., I think his name was. Mine is Mary Poppins. <laughs> of course. Who could be more wonderful than Mary Poppins? Okay, I have a few more questions. If you could do 
one magical thing that happens in the movie, what would you do? Uh, I would do do the thing where Mary Poppins turned her umbrella into the circus tent. Oh, that is a good answer. Yes, that I forgot that that's what happens with the circus tent. They show up and it's not there. She can do a lot with that umbrella. That is an extremely useful thing. That's a great answer, Nora. How about you, Lila? Um, any magical thing. If I was in the land and one magical thing, um, it would be get them into the ball. Oh yeah, yeah. To go into a to be able to go into a little world like that would be very cool. I have to say, I think the end when they all fly up on the balloons and everybody's singing together in the sky, that looks very fun to me, and I would like to do that. If you could go to any, maybe this is sort of a a similar question, but if you could go to any place they go to in the movie, where would you go? Lila, I think I know what your answer might be. Um, Lila, you can go first. Musical. Yeah, I'm not surprised that you said that. I thought maybe you'd say that. It's a great, it's a great special place, and it's all so pretty Actually. and colorful. And to see all the animals. Oh, are you changing your answer? Yeah. Oh, a surprise. Mm, I would go to the cousin's store, Topsy Turvy. Cousin Topsy's store. Yeah, that was a fun one with everything upside down. What do you think, Lila? Do you want to? Do you want to change your answer? Or do you want to stick with the... Um, I don't know what else I would go. Yeah. Everywhere. Well, you know, everywhere. I. That's a. That's a good answer. That's very tempting. You know what I said at the beginning. There's no wrong answers. So very good. If you were sitting in front of me right now with your magical bag, and I said, "What do you got in there? What would you reach in and take out?" take out meatballs meatballs i thought you were gonna say penguin because nora loves penguins do you love penguins nora yes penguins are my favorite animal just I another reason pull out out a unicorn and a treasure box Ooh, a unicorn and a treasure box that's a very good answer you're thinking big and i i like that okay I think maybe this is my last question. If you could meet Mary Poppins, if you could spend a day with the real Mary Poppins, what would you want to ask her? Oh, this won't be clear in the podcast, but Lila is making such a big, excited face at the, at the idea of meeting Mary Poppins. <laughs> I just want the listeners to know what a what, what a, a what, what a, a great, great face of enthusiasm you just made there. Um, <laughs> I would ask her how she does some of her tricks. Yeah. And she, she might, might tell, tell you. can't explain it. Do you think she'd tell you? Maybe. You know what she says. She never explains things. But maybe if you asked her really nicely. Maybe. But she maybe. never explains anything ever. But she's full of surprises, too. You know? So, Lila, any questions for the big MP? Um, I want to ask Mary Poppins. How are you not surprised of the dolphin getting up in the tub? Very good. I want to say I was ready for 
the possibility that you guys would not be into answering these questions. And you have both done so well. You had such good answers to everything I asked. And I am just so, so, so grateful to you both for coming on Roll Calling, for being our very first special guests. I am extremely pleased to get to have my little cousins on here. Oh my gosh, thank you, Lila and Nora. It was so great to hear your opinions, which honestly probably matter way more than what Ned and I think. Oh, this movie considerably. Was made for you guys, not for us. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool to hear that it's well-liked. Um, I was a little, a little sort of like quietly pleased to know that they like both of them, but they like the first one just a teeny bit more. Because I feel- they have good taste. That just makes me feel, I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. I didn't really want them to be like, one of the movies was a total stinker. So that was sort of gratifying to to know. Um, I mean, I was also just thrilled to bits to get to chat with my little my little cousins. Um, they did make me think about that that wolf part and the whole animation. That wolf chase scene is crazy. That's another part of the movie, along with the turning turtle scene and actually mm-hmm. the final big action scene where they're trying to get to Big Ben. Those are the parts of the movie that personally I would cut mm-hmm. and just get to the story a little quicker because ultimately I don't really care about – I think the message, as Lila and Nora correctly identified, about how a villain can be hidden behind someone that looks nice. I think that that's a smart message to put in the movie, but I don't know if we needed the long action scene to get that. And I think ultimately at the end of the movie, we just want to get to Dick Van Dyke dancing on a desk. We don't really care so much about how they're turning Big Ben – the logistics of that. No, it does feel like somebody, somebody, somebody at the studio, and I hate to think how there's a decent chance this was about, quote unquote, like getting boys to like the movie, but somebody at the studio said, we need some action in this. We need some dirt bikes that are driving around London oh and jumping gosh, up walls. Dirt bikes. Yes, they must have got the guys from Mad Max to come over and yeah. do their bike jumps for that scene. That was that was a little wild. I mean, I I I appreciate the spirit of invention of saying the stunts that were done in Step in Time are bananas in the original film. But I don't know if the dirt bikes is a perfect fit. Whatever. I mean, I'm not I don't beef with the dirt bikes. I agree that some of the action scenes were uh, a little shoehorned in. I mean, the climbing of Big Ben, per- particularly because not only do all the shenanigans at Big Ben come to mean nothing, but even within your shenanigan at Big Ben, first you have Lynn Manuel Miranda climb it on a ladder, and then Mary Poppins like, oh, pishtosh, I'll just fly up there now anyway. <laughs> so that's a little bit silly. Yes, they feel a little shoehorned in. I have to say, I mean, the wolf chase scene, it, maybe it's a little shoehorned in. I do i do know that um seem to be pretty off-putting for some of the younger 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 audiences i mean so i'll say i spoke to the um to the children of one of my cousins another one of my cousins has kids who declined to participate in this podcast because the wolf scene was too scary for them and i know how that i know that feeling i do too i know that feeling of being like I just don't, I just straight up don't want to watch The Lion King with you. I don't care if you want to skip the scene. I don't want to watch it because I, the last time I watched it, it was too scary. I was that kid 100%. Mm-hmm. So I sympathize. And that makes me wonder if it was a good thing to put in. But I, I'm torn because I, I love the look of it. <laughs> I love, I love the vibe. I love the kind of like, um, 
Ichabod Crane slash Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. It kind of feels like that little twofer video cassette I had. And I think the animation in that whole, the entire Royal Dalton Ball segment is just gorgeous. I love it. It kind of reminds me, it reminds me of, I mean, obviously of this one, but also um, of like 101 Dalmatians, which... Mm -hmm. Again, all these little connections. I think I actually rewatched for the first time in adulthood at like a party that you probably threw in our sure. early twenties. Because that's one kind of my thing. favorites. Yeah, it it seems consistent that would have been popped on, right? It's got beautiful animation, and yeah, I, I didn't love used to be able to d- distinguish between those. So I think the animation of this is great. Apparently, Rob Marshall had to fight, like, fight hard against Disney execs who wanted it to be computer animation, which I'm like, that would just be such a bad decision. And I'm not a I'm not by any means a blanket computer animation hater. I mean, I love Pixar. I love Moana and Tangled. But I just think the vibe of this movie, it just works so well having that classic hand-drawn animation. And I think the style of it is great. So I think the look of the look of that whole sequence, the way they the way they visualize the animals is really great. Yeah. I hadn't read up on this to know if it was true or not, but there were a couple times in this movie where I was wondering if they were homaging just broader elements of the Disney canon because the mm-hmm. Big Ben sequence really reminded me of the end of The Great Mouse Detective. Uh, yeah, I have to say, in terms of Big Ben action scenes, yeah, I did think to myself, well, it's it's no Great Mouse Detective. Right. And then the way they styled Topsy, the Meryl Streep character, really reminded me of the villain from The Rescuers, who's like the lady who lives in a swamp. Madame Medusa, I think. Wow, I'm impressed you knew that name. You're right, she does. Hmm. And then you just pointed out the um, Toad's Wild Ride or whatever it is, which I had forgotten about. But again, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're sort of trying to just go. It's almost like the ones that are less remembered. They're sort of trying to weave into the fabric of this movie. Yeah, those three are kind of the cult classics. The, the, The... None of those are Beauty and the Beast status, right. not by a long mile. I mean, the, yeah. But I do actually love all those movies, especially Great Mouse Detective. That's a very interesting theory. You, I mean, one would be a coincidence. Two is maybe, but I don't know. That's three, and there might be more if we look yeah. through it. Well, and this is maybe, I think part of the reason this movie hit me so much this time is because it's evoking a sort of many-layered sense of nostalgia. So Mm -hmm. it's like nostalgia for the original, which at this point, most people probably watched the original in their childhood, right? Like you have many generations of people who saw Mary Poppins for the first time in their childhood. And so it's sort of in evoking the first movie, it's sending you back to your childhood. And then it's also a movie about characters we previously saw as kids who are themselves trying to rediscover their childhood wonder. Mm -hmm. And there's just like a lot of layers to the way it's working emotionally, which I think is part of the reason it got to me so strongly. Mm-hmm. And maybe the sort of weaving in of other, you know, bits of Disney canon almost ties into that. Because again, it's like whatever, whichever one of these were parts of your childhood, you can kind of see them represented here. Do you know what I think is the the strongest analog to this out of the like blockbuster cinema of the last 10 years? What? Do you have a guess? Can you guess what I'm thinking of? What movie I kept thinking of through this? Nope. Captain America. Good guess. But I'm thinking of The Force Awakens. Oh, sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's like the same thing. It's like a beat for beat remake, but it's a sequel. Exactly. A beat for beat remake. They are doing the things they want to like. That's a really good call. Do all the same bits. They're like, they they like 
make the slightest gesture at being like, well, it's not the Death Star. It's now it's Starkiller base, but it's the same thing. Um, and they like tighten up some of the pacing things. They clean up some of the like mid 20th century wonkiness. They pump a boatload of money in it, but they still try to do some things with classical filmmaking techniques. Mm-hmm. And they still show you the same character. In that case, it's just, it's, it's Leia and Han and Chewie. And C-3PO and R2-D2. Never mind. It's a bunch of them. I just <laughs> remember that Luke wasn't in it. But yeah. But yeah, it does all those things. And so it's the J.J. Abramsification of Mary Poppins. And as we've kind of said a bunch of times, that is a, that is sort of a questionable, that's a questionable goal as a piece of art. Kind of seems like it functions more as a, as a studio thing than this piece of art. But here's the thing. I like the force awakens <laughs> i like it a lot and i like this quite a lot i think that's a brilliant comparison i actually don't like the force awakens ah. and i think the reason which had not occurred to me really to connect these in the way you just did but i think that what i don't like about the force awakens is it it it's doing that remake thing but it feels like mm-hmm. it's not thinking through the emotions of what remaking it means as in jj mm-hmm. abrams wants to reset star wars so that it's the resistance fighting the empire but inherently mm-hmm. having that rehappen means that all of our leads from the original failed on such a catastrophic level that like the new government mm-hmm. they created failed and the, and now nazis have re like things are so bad but that movie doesn't sort of acknowledge how bad things are. It's like, oh, cool, General Leia's leading us. And no one's like, wow, I cannot believe how badly General Leia messed up the entire galaxy to the point that things are this bad. It sort of doesn't want to deal with the ramifications. And in a weird way, I think Mary Poppins Returns does a better job of layering in melancholy from the beginning, where it's sort of like, oh, yeah, things are really messed up and this is sad. And now it's nice that Mary Poppins can come in and help us. But it sort of leans into the sadness from the beginning. Like, I think Mary Poppins Returns is a much more melancholy movie than the original. And mm-hmm. in, and I wish that The Force Awakens was a more melancholy movie than it is, because I think its story beats are melancholy, but it doesn't want to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really love about Mary Poppins Returns is that it sort of the sadness of the mom's off-screen death, like, the movie does not let up from that. It really holds on to that, and it and it and the whole movie is sort of about the family processing that, but the movie doesn't ever say, oh, here's one magical moment where they're all fixed and we don't want to think about it anymore. And I sort of like the level of emotional maturity that Mary Poppins Returns has. Yeah. I was going to initially contend that it's just a question of stakes and a family relapsing into being semi-dysfunctional again a generation later is not as sad as a universe lapsing into like violent tyranny (laughs) (laughs) a generation later. Uh, But I do also think you're right that um, the nature of Star Wars being about good triumphing over evil, that reset is more painful than I think, you know, you said this new one is more melancholy. I do think that the original one also has a melancholy and just like a, you know, it's not it's not entirely pat. And I mean, the way in which it ends with Mary Poppins going off, she comments on how the family says not so much as a thank you to her, and she goes away. And it's like, will she ever come back? Bird is clearly a little sad about it. So I think it does fit more in this world to understand like she'll go away. She's here until she doesn't need to be, and when she does need to be, she'll come back. So it is a, it is I think in that sense, I'll say this: 
a lot of sequels have to, in some ways, like break the promises of or cancel some of the accomplishments of their first installment in order to just exist. And sometimes it's extremely punishing when you watch a new sequel. And it's like, oh, so-and-so died? That's yeah. that's how we're going to start this? That's that's brutal. It's like the Alien 3. Well, I haven't kill seen off a bunch 3, of Well, they kind of kill off a bunch of beloved characters, like you're saying, in between movies. And they're just like, new status quo, too bad. Yeah, that's really sad when that happens. And you're like, why didn't you just leave me with how I felt yeah. it was at the end? And I will say that something that this sequel really deserves some credit for is that they... I think they 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 pull it off in a way where it doesn't feel it doesn't violate the first movie in any way to suggest like Mary Poppins could come back. They they intimate at the end of the first movie that she might come back. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you've danced around this the whole time too. But the first movie it like starts at its happiest and grows to be mo- it's most melancholy by the end. Mm-hmm. And I think the sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, it. It is continuing that melancholy feeling of the ending of the first one, but it sort of infuses it throughout the whole thing. And and it, like I think the melancholy of this, the melancholy ending of Mary Poppins Returns also hits me really hard. Where it's sort of like there's a part where everybody gets a balloon, but Mary Poppins like hers blows away, mm. and that to me is the sort. This is the exact same feelings that Doctor Who evokes in me, where it's like oh the Doctor goes around. Really, Mary Poppins just is the doctor. Like, oh, I'm a nice little alien who's going to come around and help everyone. But I I love humanity, but I don't get to be a part of it. And everyone else gets a balloon, but my balloon flies away because I have to be responsible. But I don't actually get the joy of just living this life. And the, the ending of this, I find, like, I don't know, the part where they're like, the, like, grownups will forget tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, they always do. It's also the same feelings I get from Peter Pan, mm-hmm. which I find to be... A fun, joyful story and also the most crushingly sad piece of art I've ever experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think Mary Poppins Returns hits even more of those Peter Pan vibes than the first one does. But it's because the first one ends on that note. And then the second one, to its credit, has the courage to to weave that in throughout the story. Yeah. It is such a bittersweet little like note at the end. Particularly because the image of everyone floating around in the sky with their balloons is just so joyous to me yeah. it just makes me so happy like the yeah. happy little park keeper and the admiral and everybody just everyone's happy even the two uh the banker the two, assistants the two or whatever you know caroline i think it might be a great movie i think i think we as a culture did mary poppins returns a little wrong dirty. we did yeah. it dirty and it was fine it was like i think it was like critically fine you know what i mean like people were like mm-hmm. yeah it's fine and i think it didn't it made some money. I mean, compared to these remakes that usually make like over a billion dollars, it certainly was not at that level. But it do- it does feel like a movie that was so quickly forgotten and that maybe deserves a second look. And that's what this that's what roll calling is for. Our second look at Mary Poppins return where a Mary that's Poppins right. returns stan account. Okay, that's not exactly what I meant, but yeah, <laughs> sure. This is now a Mary Poppins return stan account. If you don't like that, you can step off. Let's single-handedly get a third one uh, greenlit Yeah, I don't our know love if, of this movie. I don't know if the mouse needs our help with that, but <laughs> I will certainly uh, join the cause uh, in any way I can. Because I think also, like, Emily Blunt's so good at this. I could happily watch her do this for oh, seven definitely. more movies and, and never get sick of it. Like, this is really such a great role for her. Yeah, and there's a chance they might actually give her some really great songs to do. That's a do nice thing Disney. to think of. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Mary Poppins Returns? 
Um, no, but I did want to say Emily Blunt's very good at Into the Woods. <laughs> we don't need to get into it all, but I do think she she is giving maybe one of the best like two or three performances in that movie. So I guess more more musicals for Emily Blunt in general. Yeah. Yeah, we could have talked about End of the Woods, except as I kind of intimated earlier in a um, cryptic way, I don't like End of the Woods. Yeah. I don't even like the musical that much. And that's one of my, that's apparently one of my hottest takes. Although I, the nature of a hot take is sometimes you can't understand why it's hot. I don't know why everyone loves it so much. I love Sondheim, but I don't know. It doesn't work for me. But this is kind of a weird way for us to end our, our episode. On a somber note of Into the Woods dislike. Yeah. Well, here's a question. What is there a musical you would like Emily Blunt to be in? Hmm. Do you want to see her, Mrs. Lovett? Oh. I certainly think we would be off to a better start than Helena Bottom Carter's Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, agreed. And I, uh, let's to be clear, I don't hold Helena Bottom Carter entirely responsible for that. I also hold uh, Tim Burton responsible for the direction of that character and of that movie, um, which just was not a, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was an artistic whole. It had a vision, but it wasn't my vision of that story or those characters, especially that character. It had some things going on for it. But um, what musical role would I love to see Emily Blunt in? I mean, you know, I think uh, a slightly younger Emily Blunt as Eliza Doolittle. I could just, I would just oh, buy yeah. that in a heartbeat. Um, She'll just do all of Julie Andrews, either stage yeah. or screen roles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a Sound of Music with Emily Blunt. Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I, yeah, you really raised the question, what musical role wouldn't I like to see Emily Blunt in? That might be the better question. Yeah. More comedies for Christian Bale and more musicals for Emily yeah. Blunt. People, <laughs> keep them coming, you know, because I, I want to see them. You can even put in Lin-Manuel Miranda if you have to. <laughs> As is discussed in the climax of this movie... When Big Ben is a mere five minutes from striking and Michael says, well, we can't turn back time. And Annabelle says, why not? Everything is possible, even the impossible. And never is that more true than in next week's movie, The Edge of Tomorrow, in which time is turned back many, many times over the course of an epic war against time-shifting creepy crawly robotic aliens with emily blunt as uh what is she called the angel of verdun and uh, tom cruise as a man stuck in a groundhog day loop but with a million explosions and more machine guns in any one given frame than in all of sicario and for that episode we are going to have a very special guest joining us should we say who it is should we tease who it is sure well, we've mentioned them a number of times on this podcast, so that might be enough. And no, it's not Christian Bale. And it's not Nora and Lila. It's not Nora and Lila. So you'll just have to tune in and find out, but I think we're going to probably have a lot of fun doing that one. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Sita. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at RollCalling or email us RollCalling at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-E. We'll be back next week to talk Edge of Tomorrow. Until then. Everything is turning turtle. (laughs) It's good. For some reason, it's what I most associate with this movie. You also never did your Lin-Manuel 
Impression. Or should I should I hit him with my my? I mean, yeah. it's not a. We should do a double bonus. Okay, a little. Or you can see. you can just do the bonus. This what would time be the line. Like? The line be uh, count your blessings. You're a lucky guy. Yeah, it was good. I don't know. Is it good? Who knows? I think it was good. You want? But I think us? you should do. What's that other thing you do? My other Lin Manuel Mar- is impression? it from Hamilton? No, it's no, from it's Moana. from it's uh. We tell the stories of our elders in a never-ending chain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. We've done a lot of impressions. Do you want to, Do you have a bonus? Do you have any other impressions you want to throw in? I like that part in the first in the original where they say, "What is it?" Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. <laughs> that I love. <laughs> 